Welcome to Joanna and the Maestro. Hello, Maestro. Welcome to this titchy little episode of Ask the Maestro. I love these, Stevie, because they're actually quite short, but people write in with such fascinating observations and questions. Maestro, I've got a question here from somebody who you know, Julian Godley. <laughs> well, if it's, <laughs> He's written it as Julian no. Godley. And he says something quite interesting, because I've watched you. I've watched you performing solo pieces on the piano, but also when you're playing with a, a singer. He says, does the maestro prefer to be called an accompanist or pianist or collaborative pianist? <laughs> yeah, yeah, hello, Julian. Julian spent his life as a doctor, but he's also a very good singer. He gives recitals now. I've played for him too, and I've known him a long while. Good question, Julian, but I'm afraid, modestly, I can tell you straight away that I prefer to be called an accompanist. And when I conduct operas, I like to favor myself by saying that I'm a very good accompanist. And that actually includes every bit of a collaborative relationship. And the singers I really like working with are the ones that also pay attention to what I can bring to the music we do. What I can't bring to the music you do is turn the pages. Listeners, what, <laughs> this is one of my great terrors in life. I wake up sweating from dreams. Is that I'm asked to turn the pages for Stephen. Now, I can follow music. I can't, I mean, I can, if sitting down, I can work out what it is, but I, I can't read music as musicians do. But I can follow it. I can see on the page. And you stand with your hand over the top of the page with the little one single page there, and you look at your pianist. And when he gives a nod of the head, you turn very silently and easily and smoothly the page over so he can continue playing straight through. And I can remember once when Stevie was very kindly recording a piece for my father. And so we'd got the tape recorder running. This was quite early on in our marriage. I picked up two pages at once. And you, our marriage was almost over then. So this is awful. So, so anyway, I wasn't even an accompanist accompanist. I was <laughs> nothing at all. But page turners are quite important, aren't they? <laughs> Absolutely crucial. It's a very difficult thing to do. Thank you, Julian. Joanna, of all the places you've travelled to, what has been the strangest musical experience you can remember? Ooh. This is unparalleled because I would say this is in Mongolia. Yeah. And it is that throat singing, throat singing. which, you know, humiliatingly I had to have a go at doing. Even now when I hear it, it is utterly mm. fabulous, uncanny. a uncanny. human uncanny it's sound. It's like a, um, a different dimension. Dear Joanna and Stevie, I like this. Somebody's picked up Stevie. Tony's written to us, Stevie. Having listened to you both discuss opera at length in these podcasts, I've decided to try to convince my wife to take me to our first opera as a belated Father's Day present. I found Verdi's La Traviata being performed by the English National Opera, the ENO, and it's going to be sung in English. My question is, will this detract from the opera or is it okay? I've listened to a sample of it in English and it sounds fantastic. So um, what is your answer to that? Hmm. Do you think things uh, should be sung in, in the original? Because now, of course, in opera houses, you always have surtitles, so you'll always know what's being sung. You're not left in the dark. But does it work better in the original language? You know, I don't know that in German houses, when they do Italian operas, they surtitle. I don't know that. I've conducted in German houses, but obviously not Italian operas. And I don't think they had surtitles when I did Janacek at the Deutsches Oper in Berlin. You, but you're quite right. Surtitles have become quite an advance. Who wrote Cenerentola? Rossini. Why? Is he Italian? Yes. I saw you conducting that in Stuttgart. 
Oh, you did? Yes. You and did. guess what? It had subtitles. Did it? Aber in, in, into, in into Deutsch, Deutsch. Ja, von Italienisch right, in good. Deutsch. Okay. Okay. Thanks so much for listening to that. About, about 30 years ago, this was a real controversy, whether we should be having surtitles at all. And the argument from the purists was that, no, you don't need to understand every single word of a sung opera. And to a certain extent, I see that point. But I uh, spent three years at the English National Opera conducting only in English. Every opera we did was in English, and that's still the case. It helps a great deal. It helps enormously because to be able to follow real text that the singers are singing obviously draws you more deeply in. But the surtitles I prefer, and you might actually have a view about this. My view is that there shouldn't be too many. So you don't expect an absolute flood of text to be scrolling along a screen mm. because then you'll be missing all the action. Mm. You want to see a sort of a paraphrase of it, really. And of course, there's the problem that if the surtitles come up when a joke is being told, that the joke can come up on the surtitles <laughs> before the joke has actually been sung. Yeah. And that's jolly annoying. Yes. Sometimes also sung English is quite difficult to follow. And sometimes they therefore dispense with the surtitles. But because it's sung, quite often it's hard yes, and you haven't quite picked it up. Yeah, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be difficult to understand because we spend a lot of time with foreign language operas, with, with language coaches, mm. making sure that the words are really sung properly and clearly. Yes. There is one factor that's quite important in this question which is that composers, when they set text, set the music very particularly to suit the text for the language in which they wrote it. That is automatically lost when you translate. And there have been some wonderful translators. Amanda Holden in this country, Rodney Milnes, they both translated from quite a few languages and they were both profoundly understanding musicians. And so they understood the way that the text originally fitted the music. Because when you sing English to an Italian opera, you are changing the whole vowel sounds and the stresses in the music, where the emphasis is. Mozart spoke perfect Italian, as well as his native German. And so he set Italian perfectly. And when you change that and translate it, you are automatically going to lose something. And of course, for Verdi's Traviata, exactly the same. One should never forget this. We shouldn't just trade in what the composer was doing with the music and the text, simply because we want everything in our own language. I seem to remember once you either assisted or you conducted something that Tom Stoppard was doing the new libretto for, A Love for Three Oranges. Yes. And you worked with him. What, what was, because Tom's as good a writer as you could ever dream of in history. And what was it? He wanted you to be there because he wanted his words to work with the music. First of all, who wrote the music for Love of Three Oranges? Prokofiev. Prokofiev. And secondly, how interesting was it to be with Tom oh, the, it, while it, he was... The whole thing was a genius project. It was Glyndebourne Festival Opera that did the main production that summer and on tour with the younger company, they commissioned fantastic 
fantastic, lovely Tom to do a translation because it's a witty opera. And of course, Tom's understanding of wit and depth is wonderful. So I was sent over with Robert Carson to his lovely house in Ivor to see how it was all going. And Tom had been amazingly studious. Of course he was in, you know, coming up with something in the spirit of Prokofiev's original setting in French and trying to bring some of that wit and life into his translation. So he put a copy of it up on the piano and he sat down when Robert sat down and I began to sing and play a little so that he could hear it. And after quite a short while, as far as I remember, he said, I get it. And went off. And I think Robert and I maybe had some lunch or did something. But he came back with a new version eventually, which suited the music. Because from my (laughs) singing and playing of it, he understood that stress where the emphasis was in the music was going to be important in translation too. And he came up with some stunningly comic moments for that great opera, which is strangely called The Love Four, Four three, three oranges. oranges. It's yes. an odd, odd, odd little title, that, isn't no, it? No, no, no. It's a comic story, and, and it was somebody, you know, it was about the love for three oranges, not the love of three oranges. Because <laughs> well, that would be stupid. Oh, of course. That would be stupid. We've run out of time for that, so thank you very much. And I just, Tony, thank you so much. He says lo- he sends love to us both, and he says he's just moved further, that he and his, and his partner have just moved further out into the Essex countryside listening to this podcast it's made all the difference in making tedious decorating less tedious. Thank you. <laughs> well, thank you, Tony. And that's exactly what we're here for, to make life less tedious.